All right, you may be seated. Well, good evening. Thank you guys for leading us in worship tonight. And uh, if you don't mind, go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Sure appreciate uh, those of you that got here early and helped set up. We're only a few weeks away. We have four more Sundays here at Northview, and that's it. Uh, we'll, July 19th, we'll do a service at the Pecan Creek Elementary School. We'll come back here again to, to do a service here. And then August, from there on, we are at Pecan Creek Elementary School. So we are, we are at the final stretch here, and the band is definitely ready. Our singers are ready and amazing. Our sound, our tech is really coming together. So I believe we definitely will be ready for our big August 23rd launch. And be talking about that. Be talking it up to people that you know people that you don't know, put it on social media, August 23rd, August 23rd, 10 o'clock a.m. That will be our big launch Sunday, and we're trying to get as many people as we possibly can there. Well, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians, a wonderful book. I've entitled this series simply God and Grace because grace is so big. And God's grace that is portrayed in the book of Ephesians literally just boggles the mind. Uh, The whole chapter of chapter 1, just for a quick review, I am notorious about reviewing too long, so I'll try not to do too much of that tonight. But the entire chapter 1 is just sola deo gloria. In other words, to God be the glory alone for our salvation. Uh, None of it can be contributed to us that we are saved by him. He gives us grace. He gives us peace. It is through Jesus Christ that this has been done. He has redeemed us by his blood. It is beautiful. We don't deserve it at all, yet he has given us the Holy Spirit that is a guarantee of our eternity that is to come. So God has begun this salvation. He will bring this salvation all the way to its final end and glorification as well. We can rest in that. We can trust in that, that God maintains our salvation. Uh, We looked at chapter 2, basically just in a nutshell, that that we are spiritually dead uh, as humans, that we were dead in our transgressions, in our sins. We could not move. We could not get out of them. We could not cure ourselves. We could not contribute to our salvation in any way, shape, or form. That we were actually followers of Satan. We were following the course of this world there in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, that we were actually by nature, our very nature, just the fact that we existed, that we were actually objects of God's wrath. Why is that? Because we've sinned. And because Adam sinned, we were born sinners. God is just, God is holy. That makes us an object of his wrath. But look at verse 4, kind of the climax there of chapter 2, the apex of it. As he was singing tonight the song, But God, this is a beautiful verse, that we were that way. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And what? By grace, you have been saved. This is it. We did nothing to deserve it. We were dead in our sins, but Christ puts life into us. He raises us from the dead spiritually as he raised Lazarus from the dead physically. That is Christ bringing us to salvation. We're all suddenly aware of our sin. We desire God. We've been regenerated. And it's all by grace. Unmerited favor from God. We did nothing to deserve it, nothing to earn it, and we do nothing to maintain it. In other words, it's not a matter of us continuing to try to save ourselves, to stay saved, but it is all a matter of God's grace. 
He has saved us by grace and maintains us by his grace. Uh, If we fast forward a little bit there, uh, last week we covered uh, later in chapter 2 that we are one in Christ. I just have a quick slide up here that kind of paraphrases and summarizes last week's message. And by the way, if you're not getting those and you want to keep up, just go to the church at pecancreek.com. Anthony's good about putting those on there weekly, just usually the day after even now. And you can keep up with the messages there if you happen to miss one. I know it's summertime. Lots of people are missing for vacations and such. But feel free to catch up there if you'd like. You can also do that on iTunes. He's got that available. But here we see this this last part of Ephesians chapter 2. That there is now no more distinguishing. There's no more separation between the Jews and the Gentiles. And here we see that he's going over the differences that used to be there, but now these differences are not there anymore. Even the temple that they worshiped at, there in Jerusalem, there was a wall of separation. In this last portion of chapter 2 we covered, uh, Paul says that the wall of separation has come down because there's now no difference at all. And it's not a matter of your genes that gets you into these promises of God, but it is a matter of belief. It's not similar gene pool. You don't have to be a Jew to get into heaven, but it's similar belief. What is the object of your faith? It is Jesus Christ. So he belabors the point here in chapter 2 that we are now actually one in Christ. And this is a huge point. Uh, As you see here, just covering a few of the passages that uh, he makes the point of that we are one in Christ. We have the exact same Holy Spirit. Jews, Gentiles alike. There is now no difference at all. We have the same Holy Spirit inside of us that seals our salvation, that guarantees that we're on our way to spend eternity in heaven as well. We have the exact same citizenship of the exact same city. We're on our way to heaven. We have the same apostles and prophets. Why was this a big deal? Because the Gentiles did not have any apostles. They did not have their own prophets, per se. They were all Jewish. But now Paul is saying they're all the same because it's the same faith. So they're the Jews' apostles and prophets are yours as well. Uh, we are of the same household, the household of God. We're of the very same building that God is building. And most of all, we have the exact same Christ. The Messiah, that this Jewish Messiah that had been prophesied along all this time, who had been prophesied to the nation of Israel, is not just Israel's, but Jesus has come to to bring forgiveness to the whole world. Not in a universal way. He doesn't forgive everyone's sins, but that's a non-exclusive term. That it's now opened up not just to Jewish, but it can be uh, someone born here in Texas, someone born in Arkansas, somewhere of any nationality there is. And Paul is here making this known to them that now we have this ultimate unity that is in Christ. All right, this carries along over into chapter 3. And... Uh, Let's look at chapter 3, verse 1. I'm just going to read this first section here, then we'll go back through it. Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers 
of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone was the plan, plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. All right, if we go back to verse 1 here, we see that uh, Paul is starting off here and he says, For this reason... We've gone over this before, but of course, chapters and the numbers that are placed in there were placed later. Sometimes we draw too big of a demarcation between these chapters, but this is a continuance of chapter 2. So kind of remember what we just went over, the unity that we have now, the same spirit. We're part of the same body of Christ, the same building. We have the exact same Savior. And then he continues here in chapter 3, for this reason. All right, this unity that we have, that there's now no difference. Jews, Gentiles, exact same Savior. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven for either of us. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Let's pause right there just a moment. And let's remind ourselves, I do have some of these on the slides. I don't think you're going to have to look them up. But Acts chapter 22, verse 19 through 22. If you'd like to make note of that, you certainly can. If you'd like to look it up as well, you can. But we see here that Paul is a prisoner. All right, He is actually a prisoner. And why is he a prisoner? Let me read this. We know this, we remember this from not too long ago, but it's good to be reminded of once again. Why he is actually in prison. He's done nothing wrong, but he's proclaimed this gospel. And he didn't just proclaim the gospel if, to the Jews, but it was to the, the Gentiles that gets him in trouble here. In verse 19, And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself, this is Paul speaking, was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. What is going on here? Paul is preaching, and, and Paul is going over his testimony. He's going over his story that God had actually sent him to the Gentiles. And that's all they needed to hear. What follows? Look at verse 22. Up until this point, they listened to him. But as soon as he said that, they raised their voices and said, Away with him, away from, uh, with him from the earth. In other words, let's kill this man. Why were they breathing murderous threats against Paul? What did he do wrong? Well, he's doing what he is saying here in Ephesians. He's saying that there's now not two groups. He's speaking to a heavily Jewish population right there that thought they were the only ones, the only ones chosen by God, the only ones that could get to heaven. And now Paul is saying, hey, it's not just you, but God himself called me. 
God himself told me to go to the Gentiles. And they said, let's end his life right now because this cannot be. So this is huge. Living on this side of the cross and living 2,000 years from it, we don't really have this now. But, but you have to put yourself in the light of this and of what is going on. That the message that he is teaching, the message that he is writing about here at that time was considered worthy of life being ended. This is really big. Acts chapter 21, verse 27 through 29. Let me read this one to you as well. The Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law of this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple, no word for Gentiles, and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. And this is why Paul was arrested. Why? Because there became such an uproar. The Jews got so mad, not that Paul was truly with a Gentile in the temple, but if we remember from last week, there were signs on this wall to separate the Gentiles from getting near the actual temple. And there were actually signs there that even Josephus wrote about in, in 60, late 67 AD even, that said, if you enter in as a Gentile, your blood be upon yourself. Because they were not supposed to enter in because they were not God's people and the Jews kept it like that. But Paul was preaching that Gentiles, Jews, all the same, can come to God exactly on the same footing at the base of the cross. We bring nothing except our sin, and we're rescued by the grace of God. But Paul here is arrested because they accuse him of bringing in a Gentile. But look closely. Not just any Gentile. Verse 29, Acts chapter 21. His name is Trophimus. And of what nationality or where is he from? He is an Ephesian. He is an Ephesian. And obviously we're studying the book of Ephesians here, okay? So we begin to see this connectivity uh, within the Bible and within Paul's life. That he is, he is not only preaching that we are all the same, but he is truly living this out. He even calls out Peter for, for, for preaching it, but yet not applying it to his life. Paul is preaching it publicly. He's preaching it to the Jews. He's preaching it to the Gentiles. Even when they want to murder him, he is still preaching. He is hanging out with them. He is living with the Gentiles as well. He now sees no difference at all. All right. And I say this. I bring this to a point. It's a point we'll cover tonight in our discipleship time. If you have time to stay. Uh, Does God promise health, wealth, prosperity, and everything that will go your way in your life just because you are saved? Very popular message now. You hear it on TV. You hear it from many mega churches because it's a very easy way to grow a congregation, right? But we obviously know that is not the case. Uh, Paul here says he is in prison. And we know about his life that he had lots of things uh, that were, were not really going on good with his life at all. In fact, uh, Acts chapter 9 Verse 13 through 16. I'm just going to read verse 15 to you. Um, But the Lord said to him, as Paul is getting called by God, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. This is as, as Paul has been called 
on the road, road and, and the light and the brightness. And, and now he he's, can't see. He's blinded. But God raises up Ananias to go to him and proclaim this to him. And Ananias is scared to do so. But God says, no, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. And if we remember, what was Paul on his way to do, right? He was on his way to, to torture, to torment, to imprison Christians. And Jesus shows up in a radical way, and Paul is transformed. And, and he's blinded, he doesn't see, he doesn't know what to do. But God sends Ananias his way to proclaim to him. And Ananias is nervous, but God says, go. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer For the sake of my name. Think about that. This is the opposite of the health and wealth and prosperity message that is so popular today. That God says to Ananias, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That God had chosen him as an instrument to go before the kings, the Jews, the Gentiles to preach... But he had also foreordained that he would suffer much for his name. Did Paul suffer much for the name of Jesus? Absolutely. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24 through 25, we see some of the affirmities mentioned here by Paul. It says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. If you've seen the Passion of the Christ, you kind of get an idea of what that is, right? The, The back flesh was about 95% removed. It would take weeks, months for healing to occur because it was so bad. Uh, 40 was considered death. 39 was considered a way to stay alive, but just barely. Five times Paul suffered that? Did he suffer much for the sake of the name of Jesus? Absolutely. Uh, Verse 25 says, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned, if you remember that from his account. He was actually stoned to death, they thought. But they drug him out of the city and he comes back too and goes back and preaches the gospel again. So the point of this is that, yes, Paul suffered greatly, but it was all in the plan of God. Even if you see why he is a prisoner, we see that he's a prisoner because he's preaching to everyone no matter what. But look at verse 1. Who is he a prisoner of? He's a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul is a prisoner of Christ Jesus, not a specific king, not of a specific country or, or a specific jail per se. But he understands that God has sovereignly, providentially uh, uh, orchestrated his life in such a way that he is a prisoner, but he is a prisoner for Christ. And you, you think about how he must have thought about it, such passages as he's writing from prison. Ephesians 2.11, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I mean, this is Paul who had been called and now he's in prison. But yet at the same time, he fully trusts in the sovereign plan of God. He knows that he has been called to suffer much. He is doing exactly that. Never in here do we find him complaining that he is suffering, complaining that he is there. But because he understands that God is actually placed this upon him and how and how this weighs on us i mean think about this in, in america where the, where the culture where the popular message even in churches is the health wealth prosperity gab it and grab it speak it and receive it god just wants to bless 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 and you're gonna have big houses big car big everything and yet 
Paul, who wrote 13 books of the New Testament, did not see those things. But he was totally content because he was obeying God and he was getting the gospel out there. Uh, let's move on to the next section of this. As, as we see Paul, of course, being there in prison. And now we're going to get to the kind of the theme of this portion of chapter 3. And that is the mystery. The mystery of the gospel that has now been revealed. Let's look at that for a moment because, again, now we don't really see it as a mystery. But for them, this was a huge, huge deal that now they were seen as one with the Jews. Verse 3 of chapter 3. How now, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. All right, what is the mystery? What are we talking about? What is the mystery? Go back to verse 6, all right? He gives us the definition. He gives us the answer to what this mystery is. If you have a pen, if you have a highlighter, if you have an electronic device, highlight this because it's important to know. This mystery is, and then he answers it, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This was huge that we have the exact same salvation. And again, you have to put it in context. You have to remember that the Jews had separated themselves out. Uh, the promises were given to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to their offspring. Uh, we have the sacrificial system for the Jews. Animals were sacrificed. Day of Atonement. The Passover. All that is for the Jews. But what about the Gentiles? What about them? And now he is saying that we are all fellow heirs of the promises that were given to Abraham. That it does not matter now, if you're not part of the 12 tribes of Israel, that we still have the exact same God, the exact same Savior. And again, this was such a big deal because even there in Jerusalem, even though this has been going on for some time at the, toward the end of the temple before it's destroyed, we still see that the Gentiles are not allowed in. That Gentiles were continually and cyclically treated as sub-Christian. They were something else. They should not be the same as the Jewish Christian. But Paul here is saying that we are absolutely all the same. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. Flip back over there if you have to a page. It says that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This is all part of that mystery of God that has now been revealed, that there is now not Jews and Gentiles, not two, but now there is one. What is the one that he might create himself? One new man in the place of two. So making peace and reconcile us both to God in one body. So it is Christians. It is those who are in Christ, those who have trusted in Christ as their Savior. Their sins have been forgiven by Him, and they are saved. They are rescued. Jew, Gentile, all humans, whoever that is, can now be saved through Jesus Christ. Uh, we see the same, uh, same thought echoed as Paul writes in Colossians. I have that on the screen as well for you. Chapter 1, verse 25 says, To make the Word of God fully known, the mystery 
hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is big. This is the mystery of, of, of ancient man that has now been revealed to them during this time. That 400 years of silence, remember, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Then uh, my, uh, Gabriel uh, announces to Zechariah that, that they are going to have the actual messenger that comes before the Messiah. And all these pieces start coming together of this great mystery. And that the messenger now comes. And then the Messiah now comes. And, and this great messenger the, the messenger that had been prophesied uh, through Isaiah and through Malachi in the Old Testament now announces the Messiah. And the Messiah goes on to fulfill every single prophecy ever prophesied about him. That he proved over and over that he was not just man, that he was also God. He could walk on water. He could raise people back to life. Blind eyes open, deaf ears to hear. He preached with authority. Even the demons obeyed him. Even Legion, if you remember, who had thousands of demons perhaps in him, ran to him and bowed down before him. Said, what do you want to do with us, son of God? Even the demons bowed down to him. He was perfect. He was sinless. He died for our sins. He received the wrath of God on the cross for all sinners of all time who would call upon him for salvation, those he would save. He rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and now is it will be the final judge over all mankind. And this is the gospel. And this is what has now been revealed. So you see, all the prophecies coming together to explain the, the mystery that they really didn't understand but now they can see is that there's one Savior for not just the Jews, but for all of mankind. And they were all seen the same. Um, I have a quick question up here. What does this statement mean? Uh, biblical prophecy is cumulative. Think about that for a moment. What does it mean that biblical prophecy is cumulative? All right, if we go back to Genesis chapter 3, we see the first prophecy that God ever gives. That uh, the seed of the woman would crush Satan's head. And we see that first prophecy. We don't understand a whole lot more. If we just had that one, we wouldn't know a lot. But we would know that God was going to send someone that is human uh, to destroy Satan. But then more and more gets added to that prophecy. And the prophets speak for God. And that is written down. And we have the prophecy that continues to snowball until now Jesus comes and the picture is complete. All the puzzle pieces fit in. And that's what he's saying. Look, look at this. The mystery is now revealed. And we can see Christ for who he is. We can see God's plan has now been revealed to us. Let's continue on. Verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given by the working of his power. I'm not going to uh, go too long on that passage right there, but I do want to make note that Paul, of course, attributes his salvation fully, fully, 100% to the grace of God. Again, he was going off to, to, to murder, to imprison, to capture Christians, and Jesus radically steps in calls him, saves him, all right? He calls him to salvation. Uh, he is saved, but it's also by grace that he is called into ministry. So he is saved by grace. He's called into ministry by grace as well, according to verse 7 here. 
It says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Earlier in chapter 2, he attributes his salvation as a gift from God, a gift of grace, but also even his vocation, that he contributes it all to God, and he thanks God that he has called him into the ministry of proclaiming this gospel. Verse 8, To me, though I am, very, I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to the preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. We'll pause right there. God has an eternal plan that has always been the same. But now it has come to their light where they can see it. And as Paul's mission, as well as ours, to reveal this, to put light on this, to, to show that the mystery has now been revealed, that this has been God's plan all along, and that this grace is so beautiful. Uh, Paul was called to preach it, to teach it to everyone, and we are as well. This has been the plan of God. Verse 10, So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Uh, who are the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? It's an interesting point here. He alludes to this. It's mentioned elsewhere in scriptures as well. But uh, the, these would be the angels, all right? That he, they look into these things. They're curious of these things. And, but angels, if you know a little bit about angels, a study of angels, angelolo- angelology, as you, as you pull the passages together in the scripture and look at where they're mentioned and look what we're taught, uh, that they are not omniscient. They are not all-knowing. Angels do not know everything. Only God has that attribute. But they are similar uh, to us as far as gaining in knowledge. And that they are even curious of these things. And that even this was something for them to behold. That now there is Christ has come and bringing salvation to all who believe in him. First Peter 1.12, we see this mentioned again. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you... And the things that have now been announced to you through whose, those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things, look at this, into which angels long to look. Really interesting, right? Not, not often in scriptures do we, do we ever get into the mind of an angel to see what they're thinking. But here it's revealed in two, two different times, First Peter and Ephesians, that, that they are even curious of God's plan of redemption and how this is working out. All right, let's get to this. My last section here, I've just entitled uh, God's eternal purpose of Christ. We see this uh, mentioned up here in in verse 9 as well. It says, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And this is the plan of God. It is his eternal purpose. If you look at verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is so difficult for us as humans to get our mind around who God actually is. And, and oftentimes, and I, I say this all the time, but if you do not read your word, if you do not study God's word, I mean, this is God's revealed word about himself. 
And if you want to know God, you don't go to a dark corner somewhere and just start visualizing and meditating the universe or contemplating your belly button or whatever people do sometimes to try to get to know God. You get to know God by opening this up, by reading it with your eyes, by studying it with your mind. And this is how we get to know God. And if you want the best definition of God, you study God's Word, how He has revealed Himself. And without this... Then you become an idol factory. Then you become a God factory, truly. Without God's word, without his definition of who he is, you put this aside. Next thing you know, you create your own God. And you start ascribing to him attributes that he doesn't even ascribe to himself. And you begin to make up an idol. You, you, you think God is like this, or I think God is this, or I think God is a God of love, or I think God won't judge anyone. I think God loves everybody. And it's... Next thing you know, you've created an entirely different God. But that's what we do as humans if we don't watch out. But now what's awesome about God is that he does not change and that he has an eternal plan. Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal purpose. And again, trying to get our mind around this, we cannot do it. Okay, so I want to lay that out there up front. But God exists before time, if that makes any sense. God has created the planets, created the sun, created the moon, created the stars, and hence we have time, okay? The way these things evolve around each other and such, we have, we have time, the, w- the way we measure time, but God exists outside of time. He is in eternity, okay? He is eternal, He is in eternity, but yet this plan is so big that it's always been the plan of God. And And Paul labors the point here to root their salvation so they can understand how wonderful this is, that this has always been the plan of God. And now they're the beneficiaries of it. And to see that God did not change his mind. God did not say, well, the Jews aren't accepting me as they should, so now I'm going to call the Gentiles in because they're more worthy. Or, or that, hey, the Gentiles are doing so good, they've got my attention now, and now I'm going to bring salvation to them. But this has always been the eternal plan of God. If we look, um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 through 5. I think I have the portion of it highlighted behind me. Yes, I do. Okay. Uh, even, but just gather this in mind. Keep, chap- keep verse 11 in mind. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 through 5 says, Even... As he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Once again, we see what he's talking about here. Now it's it's the eternal plan of God. Even before the earth comes into existence. Even before there is water. Even before there is an animal. Even before there is a bird. All right, God has his plan. He says, even as he chose us in him. Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And here again we see the definite plan of God. His definite will that does come into being. He does not change his mind. Ephesians 1.11, a similar vein. Paul says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And again, it's according to the purpose of him 
who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So this is God's eternal plan. The plan has always been the same. Even from way back when it started beginning to get revealed to man in the Garden of Eden there, God announces the first prophecy, but it goes even before that. That God, of course, knew that a Savior would have to come even before the first sin. And that's what I'm saying. It, it boggles the mind when we begin to try to think of how great, how wonderful God is and what we deserve, that He created us. We've sinned against Him, but yet we are saved by grace through this Christ. Uh, just a couple of things up here, uh, a couple of words. If you are not familiar with them, they're great to introduce to your vocabulary and to write the definitions down as well. Immutability of God. God does not change. He is who He is. He is absolutely perfect. All right, that's an important attribute to kind of think about as we consider the eternal plan of God uh, to, to realize that God is immutable. To mutate is to change something, right? A popular show not too long ago had to do with the X-Men, and they were mutants because they would change into something else. They had different powers or different shapes, and they would take on, they would, they would morph, they would change. But that God is immutable, that He does not change. And if we ever think that God can change at all, then at that point we're, we're admitting or saying something that is heretical. Because we're saying that God was not good enough. He was not perfect. And now he is changing to become more perfect. So we have to keep this in mind when we think of the eternal plan of God. God's plan does not change. Uh, Another key word to think about as we consider the eternal plan of God is that God is omniscient. That word omni simply means all. You attach the word science to it. Omniscient simply means all-knowing. Science is just knowledge. All right, so we have all-knowing, that God knows all things. He cannot learn new information because there's nothing new for him to learn. And again, this boggles our mind, right? Because we're trying to, to think about God, and we have whatever it is, three pounds of gray matter that we're trying to contemplate the God of this universe who has this eternal plan. But this is what Paul is saying here, is this has been his plan all along. God did not change. You did not do something. And then God saw that you did that something. And now he has given you salvation also. But this is the divine plan of God. That our salvation is rooted in God himself. And this has been his plan even before the foundations of the earth. And now, Paul is saying, it has been revealed to us. Look, behold this wonderful gospel. That we are saved by grace. It is all done for us that God sends Jesus, who is God and man, to live the life that we could not live, to represent us perfectly, to take the punishment that we deserve on the cross, to, to pay for it and to give us his righteousness, and, and for him to take our sin on the cross to all who believe in him. And even our belief, of course, there in chapter 2, is a gift from God that this is his eternal plan, our salvation through Jesus Christ. And just how beautiful this is. So Paul here is lifting up the God. It's solo de glory. It's all to his glory. This is his divine plan all along. And he's announcing to these Gentiles that they now get to see how wonderful this plan is. Uh, let's look here at uh, just a couple of passages as we think on immutability, on God's omniscience as well. Numbers 23, verse 19, a great one to highlight if you have not already in your Bible. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. 
God does not change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? All right, if God says he will do something and does not do it, then he would lie, and that would be against the character of God. So, so God is not a man that he should change his mind. Why do we change our minds? Uh, men change our minds. We change our minds because our wives change them for us, usually, right? But, uh, but we change our minds because some other factor comes into play that we did not consider beforehand. But that's not so with God. So God does not need, ever have to change his mind. Uh, one more passage, Isaiah 55, verse 8 through 9. God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So again, as we try to understand God, we, try, we, we go to God's revealed word to see what he has revealed of himself. But also at the same time, we understand that God has not given us every single detail of him. How can the finite this right here, comprehend the infinite God who spoke and created everything. So his thoughts are above our thoughts. We can't fully understand every detail of God. He is God. But we do study his word to see what he has revealed of himself. But anyway, this, this point, the point of this, main, this is, is that God's eternal plan, his eternal purpose is now being revealed. And this plan was set even before the foundation of the earth. And now we're getting to see this great mystery. All the pieces of the puzzle, they're complete. Christ. We are one body. Not Jews, not Gentiles, but one in Christ. Beautiful passage. Uh, verse 11. In him uh, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. The God who has made everything has revealed his eternal purpose of salvation through Christ to the Gentiles. And we now have access, we as Gentiles, I don't know every single person's genetic backgrounds, but probably most of us are Gentiles. We're not of the Jewish nation. But now we have direct access to him. And this is huge. Again, not just access, but with confidence. And again, think about who he's writing to at that time. He's writing to the Gentiles who cannot even go near the temple the, the temple sacrifices, the holy of holies, the holy place, and, and the Levitical priesthood, and everything that's going on. The day of atonement where the, where the Jews trust in this sacrifice for the forgiveness of their sins. The Gentiles can't even go near this temple. There's a big wall there, the wall of hostility that separates them from going into it. But yet Paul is saying, don't worry about that. That's all done. That's over with. He says, you have full access to God. We have full access to God and not just this Weasley way of trying to get to him, you know, but no, it's full confidence that we can go to God, that you can pray to God, that you can talk to God, that you can know that you live at peace with God, that you can know that you will spend eternity with him in heaven because you go to him. You can access him. You have full confidence to go to him. Why? Because you are the righteousness of God. Because your sins have been removed by Jesus Christ. You have been given Christ's righteousness. And it is in Christ, who is the perfect sacrifice for our sins, His blood, that we have full access beyond the Holy of Holies into the absolute presence of God. So this is us. This is you. This is me. We are the Gentiles who used to be on the outside of the temple who could not even get near it or would be punishable by, by death. Uh, Paul just they accused him of bringing someone in and he was, he was, they were going to kill him on the spot. 
But now we can go right in. And we can lock arms together. Jews, Gentiles, Texans, Arkansans, whoever. It doesn't matter because we are all one in Christ. Let me bring this to an end. Verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Uh, Paul here was not concerned with his suffering. Uh, that, it, that it was He did not want them to be worried about it. But it was all being done for their glory, to get Gentiles the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Philippians 1.12, he speaks of this again. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And it did. Uh, God called Paul to preach to the Jews, and he did that as much as he could. Uh, many times stoned, many times beaten with rods, many times whipped as well. He also was called to preach to the Gentiles. He did that, of course, as we see. He was also called to preach to the kings. And we see that through his imprisonments, around six years altogether, and finally to even King Nero himself for his final execution, but that he was amongst the king's people. He was in the palaces. He was, he was able to preach where other people could not preach. And it was all of this was God's sovereign plan, even this imprisonment, to get the gospel where God wanted him to get the gospel. And so we reflect on this, and, and you can apply some of this in many different ways, but just even in your own life, to acknowledge, as Paul did, God's sovereign plan over your life. That not only has he called you and saved you, but he has prepared the works for you to do as well as he did Paul. That he has put you where you work. Think about that. So that the gospel may be preached to advance the gospel. Maybe in your neighborhood, right? Uh, where you go to the grocery store, uh, where you fill up gas. Uh, wherever you're at to advance the gospel. So it's a way of looking at life as Paul did. That God is in charge of my life and he has placed me here as he had placed Paul for the purpose of advancing the gospel. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for all that you have done to bring about our salvation, this eternal plan, eternal purpose that has been revealed. And now we live on the other side of that mystery that's been put together. The puzzle pieces are in place. The prophecy has accumulated to now we see this wonderful picture that we are saved not by works, not by the law, but by the grace, unmerited favor that Jesus Christ has been sent to take away the sins, the sins of the world, not just the Jews, but to us as well. We thank you for that grace, and we bask in it, and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Let's stand and worship. Thank you.